Well, good morning, New Life Church. Blessing to be with you this morning. Wonderful singing. I hope you were blessed as well. He is a good, good father, and he is perfect in all of his ways. Just this morning, we were talking with the youth about um, the fifth commandment, honoring our parents. And it is true, as parents, we are imperfect, and we will fail and disappoint our children at times, but thank God that He is perfect in every possible way, and He will never, ever fail us. So this morning, we are continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. Uh, This morning, we are looking at the Ninth Commandment, so we're almost there. There is light at the end of the tunnel, Um, and this morning... We are looking and dealing with how to be a good witness. So the commandment is, "Thou shalt not be, you shall not bear false witness." So I hope you notice that this sin is dealt with almost twice in the in the Ten Commandments. Um, in the first tablet of the law, um, it speaks to the issue of truth telling. And, and integrity in, in the way that we speak in, the, in relation to the name of God. I hope you notice that, honoring His name and not misusing His name in the way that we, we speak. And this morning, of course, we're going to look at the second tablet of the law, is how we speak and how we honor each other. So we see the, the vertical relationship with God in how we speak, and this morning we're going to look at the, the horizontal relationship in how we speak and Um, how we use our words with our neighbors. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read uh, these verses in context so that we can remember the commands from verse 1 to verse 16. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, And rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for the blessing of gathering together as a body and worshiping together. It's been a wonderful um, time just honoring you with our, with our words in our songs. We thank you for that, that spirit of worship here this morning. And we do pray, Lord, that that spirit will continue to help us to worship you as we expose the words to our hearts and our souls this morning. And as Cole mentioned, Lord, may we not be correct in your word, but may we be willing to to be corrected. May we be willing to hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning as we look at this subject on being a false witness. So Lord, we do pray that we wouldn't, again, just arrive and go through the motions, that this wouldn't be just a ritual, Lord, that we are observing, but rather, Lord, we'd be willing to to hear from you and, and examine our own hearts and allow the Spirit to Show us how we can change for your glory. And Lord, that is our desire, to know you more. And that's why we're here, sitting under your word, 
Help us to know you better, Lord. Help us to love you more. Help us to hate our sin more. That you may truly be reflected in our our day-to-day lives. So we pray, Lord, that you be exalted here amongst us this morning and that your spirit reign in us and through us today. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) So not bearing a false testimony is a key aspect of the Ten Commandments, and it is a key component of the whole law, which we will look at this morning. Ravi Zachariah illustrated the many ways a person can tell the truth when he told the story of two brothers. Evidently, the brothers were rather corrupt in their, in their ways, even though they had both succeeded greatly in, in business. And when one of the brothers became critically ill with cancer, the other brother approached the, the local pastor with this proposal. And he said he would donate a huge sum of money to the church if only the preacher would say at his brother's funeral that his brother was a saint. And on the day of the funeral, the pastor, having accepted the challenge, looked for a way to state those unlikely words before the congregation. And finally, he said, before we close this memorial service, I want to say that compared to this living brother, Joe was a saint. Bearing false testimony is a way that can be looked at in different ways. A way we tell truth, we can almost interpret it according to our own agendas. But the bearing of false testimony is strictly prohibited by God. No matter how innovative we we become, no matter how creative we, we think we can be on the subject. And any understanding of what God was saying to his children, of course, is made clear by an understanding of what it means to tell a lie. And I think that's probably half the problem. Even in our own day and age, we have forgotten the definition of what it means to lie. And here the scriptures are going to tell us this morning what the biblical standard is. And bearing a false testimony also carries with it the basic idea of fabrication, which simply means to to make something up. Exaggeration also fits into that, into that category, um, which prohibits our, our efforts to, to stretch the, to, the truth and to, to tell it in a way that it, that it covers the real, the real truth. And when God said here, you shall not bear false witness, he was pointing again to the heart of man. He was not just giving us rules and regulations that we need to tick the box by. He was pointing to the heart of man that is desperately wicked. And not even a man's creativity in the subject, in, in the area of truth, is allowed um, any um, license. So the word false is an adjective um, which describes the content. So the content is untrue, it's false. And the speaking of untruth makes what is said unreal. So the process is invalid. It becomes artificial. And today we will begin with a study of a false witness in the Old Testament. We'll look first there, and we will consider the subject of a false witness in the the Old Testament um, times, and we'll try to identify the underlying principles of this commandment, and we'll look at some examples in the, the New Testament and how the New Testament defines this same law. And then, of course, we will spend some time applying this. But if you will look with me, my first point this morning is simply the false witness in the Old Testament. So the false testimony which is forbidden here is given in the context of a trial in which a person will be found either innocent or guilty of an offense against a man or against God. And before we consider this, Um, we need to briefly consider the cultural context. Of course, this commandment was given to the the Israelites. The whole commands were given to the Israelites while they were in the wilderness, in the desert. They were living in the desert, in the ancient Near East. And these laws were given by God, of course. They were not given by by man. Um, They were living like Bedouins. There were no policemen There were 
no formal courts. So if a man was robbed, it was often by somebody that he knew, most likely a, a neighbor or a victim that he was associated with. They weren't living in big towns. They were living um, in their, their camps. And so when a, a charge was laid against someone, you were, had to bring two or three witnesses to verify the claim, and that's all part of the law here. And then, of course, these charges were then presented to the group of elders or the leaders of that specific camp in which the victim lived, and then the judgment was given. But according to the law, both the accused as well as the alleged victim were allowed to produce their witnesses, two or three witnesses. And after that, the leaders would pass the judgment. If you look at Exodus chapter 23, it tells us in verse 1, You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. In verse 2, You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. This was all about justice. This was in the context of a trial, a context of a, of a court. And the Lord was very much trying to impress upon the, the Israelites the importance of justice. And of course, if the testimonies given in the course of this trial were false, then justice was threatened. Justice was denied. And the ninth commandment seeks to ensure that a just verdict would be given by not bearing a false witness, not bearing an untrue testimony, which may either wrongly incriminate or it may wrongly justify a person who was accused of doing this wrongdoing. But the second half of the Ten Commandments are concerned with our responsibility towards our fellow men. We've already established that. This is the, the horizontal relationship that we enjoy with each other. And this is a commandment. If we are not willing to obey, we will not enjoy that, that fellowship that God has planned between each other. And false testimony is an offense, not just against God, but against our neighbors. Just as a true testimony is, is our duty, it is our duty to be truthful. It is our duty to make sure that we don't give a false testimony. We can ruin people's reputations by bearing a false testimony. We could even cost somebody's life if they are not willing to, to tell the truth. Perhaps one of the most terrible acts of, of a false witness is found in, in 1 Kings chapter 21. If you would turn there with me. In 1 Kings chapter 21, we have the story of Jezebel planning to be a, a false witness. Let me read from verse 1 to verse 16. 1 Kings chapter 21. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and wouldn't eat no food. He's really whimpering here, okay? He's sulking because he couldn't get his own way. Verse 5, then his wife enters the scene. And Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. You can almost see him 
crying here, isn't it? A spoiled brat. Verse 7. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, You have cursed God and the king. A false charge. This is a false charge. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Well, we know Jezebel was a wicked woman. And she plotted and schemed here to take this man's land that didn't belong to them. And Jezebel's plan is, is both, I think, ironic and disturbing here. And the ir- irony is that she would falsely accuse a man of cursing God when she herself had spent her entire life cursing God and even murdering God's prophets. And it's very interesting that even though she was not an Israelite, she knew enough about the law of Israel to use it against an Israelite. And she knew that blasphemy bore the punishment of death by stoning. She expected that to happen. It was part of her plan. And it's disturbing that she knows so much about the God of Israel, she has seen his hand at work and her gods had even been proved to be false, but yet she continued in her, in her wicked ways without fear of the, the one true God. But notice also that Jesus was charged with a similar case of false testimony, and we'll look at that just now. But Naboth, like Jesus, was completely innocent of such accusations, and as a result, he was murdered without cause. And this is a sad story. It's a sad story because it never should have happened in the first place. And everything about Jezebel, I think, is sad because she was such a wicked woman. But to overcome this type of wickedness and to protect justice in ancient Israel through this malicious, lying witness, this law was given. This law that wouldn't lead people to false conviction. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse, verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrongdoing in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only in the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, verse 17, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and accuse his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Verse 20. And the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. You shall, sorry, your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. 
And the reason why the law was so extreme, so severe, was to prevent this type of injustice. Now, Jezebel should have been killed because of this malicious, false witness. And the Old Testament also tells us that, that God, God hates lying. And that's what she was doing. She was lying about this man's character. He did not blaspheme God. Proverbs chapter 6 tells us in verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. But notice in that list, two out of the seven have to do with lying. Two out of the seven, two of these things that God hates are to do with lying. The Lord detests, He hates lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. And so God has given us this ninth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And although the commandment was originally directed against lying about another person in the context of a courtroom, it has been rightly interpreted as a command against all forms of lying. You shall not lie. Now let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at the New Testament and what the, the New Testament authors tell us about the same subject. As always, the, the Ten Commandments and the application in the New Testament is much broader. And the Lord's concern for truth throughout Scripture, we know, is, is, is very specific. So but let us look at a few places at the way the false witnesses is developed here in the New Testament. We know from Revelation chapter 1, the Scriptures tell us, that the Lord is faithful and He Himself is a true witness. And the book of Hebrews begins with the statement that God has finally and fully given testimony to men in the person of Christ. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. Jesus was like the prophets in the Old Testament, in that he came to bear witness to the truth. And he was, of course, unlike any of them, because he was perfect in all of his ways. He was truthful in all of his ways. It tells us in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He came to expose our sins because He was perfect. He was the light. And wherever the light went, the darkness would run. And Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The things that Jesus spoke of were truthful. And they shed light on, on dark subjects. And they shed light in the dark corners of men's hearts as they try to justify their, their sin, how to justify their, their lying. In John chapter 8, verse 26, Jesus speaking to the Father, He says, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but He who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. In verse 38, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. Jesus taught that truthfulness, of course, should be a, a habit. It should be a habit as a, as a Christian that we speak the truth all the time. That we keep our oaths, that we keep our, our promises. It shouldn't be necessary to to make oaths even in a court of law. As a Christian, we should be keeping our promises. We should be speaking truth all the time. Isn't it funny, growing up as children, I remember even in my own family saying to my sister often, I promise on our mother's grave. I mean, we would use these, these weird little sayings to try and justify our, our words. I promise on our mother's grave. 
We shouldn't have to promise on anybody's grave. As believers, our oath should be true at all times. The testimonies that the Lord gave were, were true at all times. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 33, again you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. And anything beyond this is evil. Let your yea be yea, let your nay be nay. In the Old Testament, a witness was sometimes put under oath, swearing to tell the truth. And we see that even in our courts today, isn't it? And our Lord taught that truthfulness should be a way of life. We should speak truth all of the time. So an act of deception is a lie. An act of deception is a lie. Remember the New Testament story of Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, turn there with me if you would. We'll look at this New Testament example. Acts chapter 5. Their simple act of deception was a lie. And they died because of their, their lie, not because they kept some money from God. They lied. That was the whole point in Acts 5. Look at verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and said, uh, uh, sorry, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Underline that in your Bible. That's the whole point of this passage here. Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these words, of these things. Well, great fear came upon me when I read this story just, just this week. And that was the whole point. I mean, the New Testament church was, was being established, and here this couple, this family, were trying to deceive the church so that they could get some more. And the scripture tells us here that a great fear came upon all of the church. And I wonder why there was a fear created by the death of Ananias and Sapphira. It tells us there, there was a fear. It's because they were telling lies. And I wonder if some of the people in the church perhaps were guilty of telling lies. And that's one of the reasons here why they died. Because they were lying to God. They were lying to God. And a precedent was set here for the rest of the, the New Testament. God hates lying and God will, will not tolerate that. But what are different ways that we can lie? That's my third point this morning. What are different ways that we can lie? Well, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 1 to, tell, 1 to 2, it tells us that perjury is a way that we can lie. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. 
So when God tells us not to bear false witness in a courtroom situation, He's concerned not only with truthfulness, but He's concerned with justice. You know, it's been, it's been said when, when you commit perjury, you are in effect calling upon God to witness to your lie. You place your hand on the Bible and you call God as a witness and you lie. Perjury is a serious violation of, the, of this ninth commandment. Slander is another way that we can speak falsehood directly. And slander is speaking falsehood about another person which obviously hurts their reputation. Leviticus 19.16 says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Closely connected to that is gossip. Spreading gossip is another way of bearing a false witness. James chapter 4, verse 11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. This is perhaps an area where we need to be very careful. Careful not to spread gossip or rumors about people. Whether we're in the office or whether we're in the workspace or even on our computers or on our cell phones. The internet has become a place where where false news where is so quickly spread. We just forward a, a little bit of news that we've heard from a, a, a false source, and we end up causing a lot of trouble. People are susceptible. They enjoy gossip. They enjoy the spreading of rumors where that breaks down somebody's character. And this is where we get all these urban legends that quickly become huge fires and storms. Let's first check our facts and make sure that we know the source is true before we spread these, these false rumors. And flattery is another way that we speak falsely. You know, David said in Psalm chapter 12, verse 1, O Lord, for the, Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Verse 2, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips, and a double heart they speak. It is wrong to flatter somebody in order to, to gain favor for your own benefits. That doesn't mean be unkind. It's being unwise. Flattering somebody so that you can gain from it, that you can benefit from that. False teaching is another way that we can break this commandment. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, The Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insanity of liars whose consciences are seared. Paul warned about false teachers here to the church. In the New Testament church and even in our situation today, there are many people professing to be speaking on God's behalf and they are speaking false doctrines, false teaching. Be careful. They are breaking this commandment. Another way we can break this commandment is by careless lies. Careless lies. Look at Proverbs chapter 26 in verse 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. I am only joking. It's a casual disregard for the truth. I'm only joking. You almost justify your lie when you caught it out with it. And then, of course, by telling little white lies. This is another way. You know what we tell ourselves about white lies? It's just a little untruth. It's not going to hurt anybody. But notice the way we minimize it. A little and white, like as if there's no problem. First Peter chapter 2 says, in this, First Peter chapter 2, would Jesus tell, sorry, <laughs> I'm reading, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He committed no sin, 
neither was deceit found in his mouth. There were no little white lies when it came to Jesus. There was no deceit at all when it came to Christ. And then hypocrisy, I think, is another way that we break this command. In Matthew 15, verse 7, we see Jesus here speaking to the Pharisees of his day. And he calls them, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They were pretending to honor God, but on the inside, they were doing everything but that. And that, of course, is hypocrisy. That is lying. That is lying. And then finally, I think half-truths are also another way that we can break this commandment. And the Bible says we can be guilty of lying by speaking falsehood directly or by trying to deceive unintentionally. But also there's another way the Bible says we can lie. And that's by mixing our lies with the truth, a half-truth. We mix the truth. We exaggerate the truth or we twist the truth for all types of different reasons. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, as Christians, we need to adopt the standard of the, of the courtroom witness. That the Lord tells us to observe, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what the Lord is trying to establish here in this commandment. But of course, there are different reasons why people would, would lie. And I want to examine a few of those this morning, my fourth point this morning. What causes someone to lie? Why do we lie? Have you ever thought about that? What's the reason why do we start lying almost as soon as we start speaking to somebody? Why? What are we trying to cover up? I think the ultimate reason is because we all have a sinful nature. And our sinful natures are, are prone to, to sin. Our sinful natures are prone to protect ourselves and not to share the truth. First of all, I think we lie to protect. We lie to cover up our own skin. And that's what Saul did. Saul lied to Samuel when Samuel approached him after his battle with the Amalekites. Remember, God told Saul to keep none of the, none of the plunder from the battle. And what happened? We know what happened. Paul, uh, Saul had let the soldiers keep the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle. And when Samuel, the prophet, arrived, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions, which was a lie. And Samuel said, but what is this bleating of, of sheep that I hear in my ears? What is this lowing of, of cattle that I, that I hear? And of course, the soldiers brought all of those things from the Amalekites, which they were supposed to have destroyed. And Saul lied. He lied blatantly to the, the prophet Samuel. Because he knew he hadn't followed the Lord's instructions. He knew he was guilty. And he was trying to protect himself. He even lied to protect himself in, in, in another way. And we've all done this at some point. I'm sure we have. We've all lied to protect ourselves. But I think another reason we lie is to gain advantage. We want to gain advantage or leverage. And we think that by lying we will gain some prestige or some respect. Or we'll get a advantage in, in even a, a money increment in some way, and we go ahead and we lie in order to gain. Now, Proverbs 21, 28 says, a false witness will perish, but the word of a man who hears will endure. And we need to realize that lying will never truly bring us any gain in the long run, because God will not allow it. God will not allow it. I think another reason we, we lie is simply to impress other people. I'm sure we've all done that at some stage. We've exaggerated the truth. We've told a blatant lie to get people to think differently of us. And the book of Jude in the Bible describes some people who lie to impress others. In Jude 16, these men are grumblers and fault finders. 
They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. I'm sure we've all done that at some point. And lastly, I think another reason we sometimes lie is, is to hurt others, is to harm somebody else. And Joseph in the, in the Bible found this out when he refused the advances of Potiphar's wife. We know that story in Genesis 39. She was so angry with him that she lied about him. She lied about his character and she lied about even his actions. And as a result, Joseph, Joseph was thrown into prison. Perhaps we've been guilty of that at some point. But there's all different reasons. There's all different reasons that we can relate with why people lie. But let's look at the fifth point this morning. What are we to do instead of lying? What are we to do instead of lying? Well, firstly, we are to turn to Christ. We are to turn to Christ. James tells us, and we read it earlier this morning, that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue will betray us, folks, at some stage. The tongue is not our friend. It's a poison that festers in our, in our hearts. It's a fire that starts small that ends up devouring all types of forests. It's a fire that kills. And what can be done? We must first turn to Christ. We saw in Revelation, that Jesus is the faithful and the true witness. Jesus is the only hope that we have. Jesus is the only hope that we have. He is perfect in every way. And the only one who has the remedy, who can take away this, this poison, this antidote that is in our bodies, who can make our, our, our lives whole, that can make our lives clean and give us a clear conscience, a new beginning. It is Christ and Christ alone. And Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Ghost, said in, in 3 John chapter 1, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. As Christians, this should be a characteristic. This should be characteristic of our lives. What do people know you as? Let's ask that question this morning. Do people know you as somebody who tells the truth? Or somebody who doesn't? Who's somebody who can be trusted? Or somebody who can't? As believers, our testimonies should reflect the truth of who Christ is. It's part of his very character. The second thing that we need to be doing as believers is speaking the truth in love. We cannot do that unless we've come to Christ. We cannot do that unless we've run to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the positive application of this command, you shall not bear false witness, is of course, speak the truth in love. And Ephesians 4 tells us that's what we need to be doing as believers. It, you know, it's been said that love without truth is hypocrisy. But truth without love is brutality. We need to make sure that our, that our hearts are right. That we're not just these these soldiers, these sergeants that are, that are just screaming out truth to people, we need to make sure that our actions are followed up with love. You know, the Lord doesn't want you by, to be going around to everybody and telling how ugly their dresses are. That's not what I'm telling you to do today. I mean, that's not, that's not loving. Or to say that you don't, you hate that gift that somebody gave you for, for your birthday. Speak truth with love. We must balance the truth with love. And then thirdly, I think one of the most important applications this morning is we must love the church. We must love the church. And this cannot happen if we haven't run to Jesus first. You know, Ephesians 4.25 tells us, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. As believers, we mustn't be people that speak lies. We must be people that speak truth. And Paul gives us a motive, for we are members of one another. He's talking to the church here. We are members of one another. You see, when we come to Christ, He does more than 
then pardon our sins. He changes us. He changes us completely. He gives us a new life. And he puts us into a, a body of believers. He makes us members of one another, the church. We're part of this fellowship. We find ourselves loving each other and caring for one another. And we have to be helping each other, mutual encouragement and, and seeking mutual accountability. That's all part of being part of a, a local church. We are members of one another. And of course, that love begins to blossom within us as we come to know Christ, as we mature in Christ. And he plants us firmly in a body that, that is striving to love Christ together. And then we tell the truth to each other. We don't lie to each other. We don't break each other down. We don't gossip and cause terrible heartache and terrible pain. We speak the truth in love. We are agents of the gospel. And the gospel is truth, isn't it? And we speak this truth in the life of those around us. This is our ministry. You know, brothers and sisters, we need, to, we need to get close. And we need to stay close to Christ. And we need each other to do that. We need each other to speak truth into our lives. We need to be open. We need to be honest. As we love Christ, we need to we love each other. If we have something against a brother, the Bible tells us in Matthew 18 what we are to do. Go and speak to that brother. And if you can't overcome that conflict, bring a witness. Bring a witness to help you. This is directly from the Old Testament. How we can establish truth. Bring a brother with you. Bring two or three witnesses with you. So that you can sort out these issues. So that you can love each other properly. Just like the Old Testament wants us to. You know, Jesus told us that he is the truth. But remember in Mark 14, at his trial, there were false witnesses and these false witnesses gave the wrong testimony about Jesus Christ. But remember, he never once replied in his own offense till he was asked directly, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And when he confirmed it, the high priest said, Well, what other need of witnesses do we need? And Christ was condemned as a blasphemer. Someone whose witness and testimony was rejected and considered as false. The one who was the faithful and true witness, the one who came from the Father above, the one who was full of grace and truth, died as a false witness, died as the breaker of the ninth commandment. The witnesses called against him, those were the ones who were bearing false witness. And the high priests, they were the false witnesses. Even Peter, his dear, close friend, in the courtyard after his, his trial, when asked if he was one of Christ's disciples, he denied the truth. He was a false witness. And the only one who was the truth and spoke the truth, and the only one who did not bear False witness is the one who was condemned. I want you to see the seriousness of this command this morning, folks. This is the, the sin that caused the death of our Savior. And this is the sin, if we are not willing to recognize in our own hearts, who caused the death of our, our own families, of our own church, if we are not willing to confess it, and we are not willing to recognize it for what it is. It is a terrible sin. It is a terrible sin that bears the wrath and the curse of all falsehood. It may start off as a white lie, but it can grow and grow to something much bigger that you could ever have imagined. And the one who is truth commands us to be truthful. The one who is the faithful and true witness calls us to be faithful and true witnesses. Not just for our joy, but for His glory, folks. So our church would reflect who Christ really is. So we as a church 
would be the faithful witnesses to the world outside that are dying in their sins. So that we would reflect He who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's make sure we speak the truth so that those who are believing lies would turn from it and know the truth as their Lord and Savior. Let us seek to be truthful and loving in all that we say and all that we do. And only then will we be living in obedience to this ninth commandment. You shall not have false testimony against your neighbor. Won't you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, we bow our heads this morning. Lord, we've read a lot of verses. We've seen plenty of scripture this morning to convince us, Lord, that this is a command that is serious. That this is a command that we should be seriously contemplating even in our own lives personally, in our own lives, in our family, in our own lives corporately as a church. We pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would help us this morning to apply these instructions to our hearts. And just as we prayed earlier, Lord, that we wouldn't be sitting in our chairs this morning trying to correct the Spirit of God, trying to correct the Word of God, but rather, Lord, that we would submit to you this morning where the Spirit is showing us, Lord, where we have failed, he would grant us repentance. And please, Lord, we pray that those who need to, they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved this morning. They would confess their sins this morning. They would see their sin as Christ sees the sin, as God sees the sin, as he looks down upon us and reminds us about how the sin caused his dear son to die that we would not think it's just another small little sin that we can sweep under the carpet, but that we will deal with it this morning, Lord, and that you would get the honor, that you would get the honor that you deserve. So do your work amongst us, Lord, we pray for the sake of your great name. Through Jesus, your son, we ask. Amen.